Hi guys, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 14 years. And together for 16. We have kids. Four kids. Which is like a thousand kids. We've also been foster parents to four kids as well. We're running a business together. We do a lot of things. That is a lot of things. <laughs> but we feel like it's possible, we know it's possible, to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. That's why we decided to do a podcast together. It's called Rise Together. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we kind of get through all the things. This is it. Come on down. Here we go. <laughs> Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Rise Together podcast. Uh, we have a real treat this week in Devon Franklin. Devon is a very accomplished person who has worked in TV and in film, who's been a New York Times bestselling author, and who, in his latest book, is taking us inside the mind of men. Uh, we've as a part of the Hollis Company and the work we're doing on this podcast, tried to be as open and honest, as transparent and sometimes super vulnerable about the things that real life couples work through and struggle with in an attempt to be really honest about how men show up in life and in relationships. Devon's written a book that tries to give insight to men as to why they do the things that they do, why they feel the draw and pull into areas that do not serve them or serve their relationship in an attempt in bringing that into the light to help men avoid the trappings of those temptations. Uh, and for women, the hope is that by having a conversation like this or having a book that you can read about this, it might provide some insight into why the men in your life behave the way that they do. I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation with Devon and uh, hope that in some way, his willingness to talk openly about the things men struggle with will help you and your partner navigate through them as well. Enjoy. We're excited to have you. And I say we as though Rachel Hollis, our you know, my wife and other co-host of the show is here. She is not. She is in Mexico boycotting this episode, which gives us a chance to get into some things that we as men need to get into. It's just a real truth. You know, Come I on. love it. You know, hey, when the, when the women are away, the, the boys will play. I love it. <laughs> so for, for any of the listeners who don't know who you are or what you've been up to, rather than me rattling off what is an unbelievable bio. I mean, I like any bio that comes with a quote from Oprah who has called you a bona fide <laughs> dynamo. Like Oprah has never even thought of my name, and yet she has a quote of what she thinks of you in your bio. Oh, will, oh. You tell, will you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you've been up to? Sure, sure. You know, I mean, I, I you know, from Northern California, from Oakland, California, home of the uh, champion Golden State Warriors, go Golden State. And uh, as a kid, you know, I always wanted to be in entertainment. Um, you know, come, I was raised in the church. A lot of times people said, you know, going to entertainment, you couldn't do that uh, because it would compromise uh, my faith. But I really felt that's where I was called. So at 18 years old, I became an intern for Will Smith. I also attended the University of Southern California. And I interned for Will my entire college career. When I graduated, I became an assistant. And, you know, I always just wanted to make films that would, you know, inspire and uplift people because I believe that entertainment is just that kind of medium. And while I was doing that, you know, I'd always been uh, speaking and preaching on the side. And when I was 22 years old, my uncle said, 
I need you to come up once a month to preach for me. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> just got my start in Hollywood. And uh, because he had been so good to me, I decided I was going to do it. And so as I started doing that, as I started embracing all of who I was, you know, a lot of opportunities just started coming and people started knowing me in entertainment, you know, as somebody who was committed to faith and inspiration and hope. And so I, you know, I just said, I'll embrace that. And so I became an assistant. I went from being an assistant to an executive at MGM and then from an executive uh, at MGM to an executive at Sony uh, Pictures. I worked on films like The Pursuit of Happiness, uh, The Karate Kid, Heaven is for Real. And while I was there, because people knew about my faith, it let, gave me the opportunity to write my first book, Produced by Faith, which is all about how you don't have to compromise um, who you are in order to find success. And that's what got me on the radar of Oprah. And she interviewed me for Super Soul Sunday. And uh, we did a whole hour long interview on me and the book. And it was just a huge, you know, amazing opportunity. And I listened to it last night, by the way, when like Oprah interrupts you to say that was an aha moment for me. I'm like, oh, well, you can die now. It's good. <laughs> right. We're good. We're good, man. We're good. I don't know what anybody else is thinking, but hey, it, we, we have done all we can do on this earth <laughs> when Oprah does that. Um, and uh, I worked on, I mean, once, so I did the book and then I did a move that movie Heaven is for Real, uh, which did uh, $30 million in the first uh, five days of opening. And two days after I quit. Two days after it opened, I quit my job uh, and I felt like it was just time to step into my producing career, step into, you know, this self-help career of really wanting to devote more time to inspiration. I mean, similar to, you know, you leaving Disney, sure. you know, with me, you know, leaving uh, the studio system for greener pastures. And so I've been running my company, uh, Franklin Entertainment, ever since. I have a deal with Fox. I have a new movie coming out called Breakthrough with Chrissy Metz, which comes out for Easter. And along the way, I've just continued to write. So I wrote a book with my wife called The Weight, which is all about the value of waiting for sex until marriage. Uh, I also wrote uh, my third book, The Hollywood Commandments, which came out in the fall. And then now my fourth book, The Truth About Men, What Men and Women Need to Know. So that's a quick little snapshot of who I am and uh, how I got here. Busy, man. You're busy. <laughs> yeah, you all are busy. I'm trying to keep you all. <laughs> Come on. One of my very last meetings at the Walt Disney Company was with Devant, and uh, we luckily have stayed connected after uh, the transition. So let's let's dive into this conversation about the book, The Truth About Men. In a world where, in our business, like we're seeing this crazy phenomenon of the curated, everything's all right, my Instagram and Facebook are the best representation of my perfect life, we're finding that what's actually connecting to audiences is our willingness to be honest about the things that we struggle with and the things that life throws not just our way, but everyone's way. And when I, you know, like was digging into what is this book and what's it all about, there's so many similarities in your interest in breaking down a little bit of the veneer that might normally suggest that you don't need to talk about certain things or that there's taboo around being honest. And I want to just give us a sense of what it was about this topic that made you want to write a book about it in the first place and a little bit of, of what, it, what it's about. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, my new book, The Truth About Men, What Men and Women Need to Know, um, it's honestly, it's, it's really crazy of me to be very honest. I mean, to write a book about what we as men need to do better and, uh, you know, encouraging men to be honest about our struggles and giving women information that they currently don't have about men along the way is on some level dangerous because we as men, 
don't always like to do our work. Um, you, we as men don't always like to be told that, hey, you know, we're not doing right. And so the motivation uh, to write the book really came down to two things. Uh, the first thing was pain. Uh, I just see so much. I was raised by women, my mother, my grandmother and seven, my grandmother, seven sisters. Uh, after my father passed away, they pretty much raised me and my brothers. And I got a firsthand account of the pain that so many men in their lives caused them. And I don't mean physical pain. I just mean emotional pain. I just mean men that would say one thing and do something else. And uh, and also, since writing The Weight, you know, my wife and I, I mean, we receive testimonies from all over the world of women who are deciding to wait, but they have pain because they can't find men that'll do that with them. And then just when I look at the, the culture, you know, there's just so much going on. So I wanted to say, okay, and especially as men, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, man, how do we become the men we were created to be? And so I wanted to write this book to help alleviate the pain of both men and women. Uh, and also, you know, I was motivated by a personal story. And my father, when even though he passed away when I was nine, I found out in my teenage years that he cheated on my mother. He had an affair um, on my mother with a, another female family member. Ugh. And I found that out uh, when I was, uh, you know, in, in my teenage years. And it devastated me because I was like, well, wait a minute. If my father can't be faithful, what does that mean about me? If if my father cheated on my mother, well, does that mean that I might one day cheat on my wife? And I began to ask the question, can men be faithful? Uh, you know, can do we all cheat? And when I would ask that question to my family, they would say, most of the women in my family would say, oh, yeah, 99% of all men cheat. And I'm like, what? I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, you guys just say it as a law of the universe. And so I just, as a teenager, said, well, I don't want to become that to be my reality. And so what happened is I started this journey of figuring out, well, why do we struggle so much? And as I came into manhood, I began to realize, oh, got it. Here's why we struggle, because lust is such a problem and we don't talk about it. We're not honest about it. And so lust, I, def I describe as a selfish impulse for personal, professional, financial or sexual fulfillment by any means necessary even if those means are detrimental. And uh, and what I began to realize is that no matter how strong my faith uh, may be or may have been, um, it did not stop the fact that I had this lust in me. And so as I began to become more honest about the lust in me, I began to realize, oh, got it. This is why it's hard for us as men to be faithful because this the lust in us is strong. Lust is selfish. It wants what it wants, whenever it wants it, however it wants it. And so as I began to delve deeper into my own challenges with lust, I began to realize, okay, got it. There's lust in us, but there's also love in us. Love of God, love of the woman in our life, love of ourselves, love of family, love of community. And when we as men begin to put love in control of lust, uh, in, the, in the book, I use a metaphor of mastering the dog. So I call lust the dog. I call love the master. When we as men begin to master the dog within, when we put selflessness over selfishness, this is when we empower ourselves to be the men we were called to be. However, if we don't, the dog will master us. We will become whatever our lust wants us to be. And so I wanted to write a book to show us how, what this problem is, why it's so severe, and what both men and women can do about it. It's interesting because it's not just sexual lust. It's a, right. a, a lust for power. It's a lust for yeah. selfish, so just selfish desires generally. And if, you know, if you're listening to this, you're victim of this. Like this is not something that like 
uh, only a handful of people struggle with. I struggle with this. Anyone, everyone, uh, you know, and I would argue even men and women have um, probably some of this, them, you know, there are women that are listening that also struggle with some of these things. But as a man, for sure, there's something in each of us that has to come to like an honest conversation with ourselves and an honest conversation with our partners about what's really going on in our heads and, and, and how it has just kind of either always been there. I, I guess maybe that's a good question. Did, did, did you in diving into the why get to a place where you had some understanding of it being hardwiring or societal norms or something that's just existed forever? Or was there, was there a thing you found as the, the, the why it exists? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's one of those things in the research that I've done that uh, there is it, it's inconclusive as to why it, it feels like it's such a part of our DNA. I mean, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, you know, there's a scripture where Paul is uh, articulating this idea of him having this thorn in his side. And he asked God multiple times to take out the thorn and God won't do it. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for you even in the midst of the challenges that you face. And so when it comes to this issue of lust, and you're right, it does operate in both men and women. Um, I do think that it's part of one of the challenges of our humanity. We all wrestle between the spirit and the flesh, and, and the lust of the flesh is a big thing. And one of the reasons why in the book I primarily focus on men, I do touch on you know with the lust in women a bit, but I focus on men because uh, there's too many books that have been written about um, you know, by there be too many books by men that have been written about, oh, as a man, here's what I'm going to tell you at women, what you need to do better. Right. And I'm saying as a man, I'm not going to write that book. I'm going to write the book about what we as men need to do better. Here's how we can get control. Here's how we can look in the mirror and become who we were called to be and give women information along the way. And to do that, I had to acknowledge that, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it, I have uh, the dog in me too. I have the master in me too. And both of them, you know, war with one another. And I have to work on mastery. I have to work on loving myself, loving my wife, loving who I am so much that it empowers me to get control over urges and thoughts and things that want me to do the exact opposite. There was a, a part early on in the book about a dog trainer giving a yeah. little bit of an example of the why training a dog is a thing that you should do because of it creating a safe environment, a safe environment for the dog, a safe environment for the people that the dog interacts with. And I assume that that metaphor was picked in part because of the, the hope that in the outcome of being honest in conversation and being honest with yourself as you look in the mirror, that you might create a, 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 a version of yourself that just doesn't fall into the traps that this lust complex creates and people who just ignore it and hope that it's not going to, you know, pop up and get them. Oh, you're, you're exactly. I mean, and, and you know, I, I say in the book, you know, there's nothing cute about an untrained dog. Um, and no matter how much, you know, you may love it, that untrained dog is a nuisance and a danger to uh, itself and everyone it comes in contact with because there's no discipline. There's no self-control. It wants pleasure for pleasure's sake. And when we as men operate that way, we are a danger to ourselves and anyone we come in contact with because there's a tendency to get whatever it is we want by any means necessary. doesn't matter how much destruction we cause. It doesn't matter how many 
uh, people we hurt along the way, as long as we satisfy ourselves, then that is the the ultimate goal. And so when you do, I mean, I love the dog training metaphor. And again, I didn't don't mean to offend any dog owners. It's a metaphor. Um, but you know, when a dog is not trained, it it actually is it limits its potential because uh, training is about leadership. You know, it's about going from being a dog owner to a dog master. Uh, many people own a dog. Not everyone masters their dog. Sometimes the, the the dog masters the owner. So I wanted to write this to say, here's how we can create a safe environment. Here's how we can make, you know, other men and women feel safe around us because we're doing our work. We're practicing discipline. We're practicing self-control. And, you know, I didn't write this book from a standpoint of, me having mastered it, I work on it every day. It's still a process, but it's a great process. It's a rewarding process. And I really feel like it's time for us to men, as men to do our work. And also, I think for too long, women have been in the dark about us as men. And I don't think you can really deal with something successfully if you don't understand it. So this book is, gives a lot of understanding to women about how we think, why we think certain things, uh, the pain that we experience, the challenges, uh, why we need love. It gives women a lot of information and insight so that they can identify if they're dealing with somebody who's leading with the dog who could potentially be in a danger to them. And as a result, they can now have information to not only help them decipher that, but then make a decision to even remove themselves from the environment of that person. It's so interesting because like in, in my life and our relationship, my, my relationship with Rachel, the, um, the, the, the way that the dog manifests sometimes is uh, I'll get insecure about something, whether it's professionally or even personally, as she continues to grow into this person that is different than the person I met in a great way. Uh, I've, I've let the dog be a, a, an accomplice in self-sabotage, like I, like on an almost unconscious level, making decisions that didn't serve me or our relationship because of those things that could tempt me, whether it was making decisions that, you know, like having more to drink than I need to, or uh, just not being as present or as available in the relationship as I'd like to were, you know, usually something that was happening as a reflection of some insecurity I was having in the relationship, but uh, that it existed in the dark didn't allow her to understand why I was doing the things I was doing. And because I wasn't really coming to terms with it, it allowed it to flare and manifest in ways that were not healthy for our relationship and were just was not healthy for me. So there's a part of what I love in this that's like, Look, it's going to probably be uncomfortable if you are really, truly going to be totally honest about the things that you feel inside. But if you're willing to wade into those uncomfortable conversations and have a more transparent, regular dialogue with the person you're in relationship with, the chances that you can self-sabotage, the chances that you'll step into a pile of whatever it might be that lives in the version of you that isn't in control, um, you're going to keep that from happening. That's, uh, I think, the whole point. That's right. And I, I love what you're saying. And it's so true. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we as men, you know, talk about this in the book, you know, there's this whole box that, um, you know, we're taught to live in as uh, men, you know, this is men are supposed to be strong and we're supposed to have it all together and we're supposed to be the breadwinners and we're supposed to be uh, the dominant one. And anytime we don't fit that box, um, you know, we usually, it breaks us in some way and it usually sometimes exposes an insecurity. And so because we're taught to suppress and not communicate, 
there's a lot of things, especially in marriage, that can happen where, you know, it does make we do for whatever reason start to feel less less than who we want to feel like. And when we suppress that feeling, it does come out in unhealthy ways. And what I have learned and what you're uh, talking about, which I agree, is that when we can go to our partner, the person that we are with and say, babe, look, here's what's really going on. You know, if I'm really honest, here's how this makes me feel. Now, just because of how it makes me feel doesn't mean that it's justified or anything. But if we're just having an honest conversation, I need you to know, here's here's what's going on. And I'm telling you because uh, I want to work through this and I don't want this to be an issue and I don't want to no longer suppress what I'm feeling. And the reality is, is that when we practice this, it takes our marriage to another level because we need a safe space. I have a whole chapter in the book called Create a Safe Space. We need a safe space where we can talk without fear of judgment, without fear of repercussion, without fear of condemnation. We need a place where we can just say, hey, you know, I've been carrying this truth. I've been suppressing it. I've been denying it. I can't do it any longer. I need to tell you what's really going on. And here's what I've noticed, that when in a marriage or relationship, when we can be truthful and we can do it without judgment, it it brings us closer to the person than we ever thought before. But the challenge is that when we are honest, if we are met with judgment or anger or made to feel you know less than because we're being honest, as men, it may be one of the last times we choose to be honest. Yeah. Uh, because we're whenever we're vulnerable, that's a big deal. So it's really, really important that in this safe space, even if you know our wives don't know how to respond in the moment, it's sometimes just okay just to listen, take it in, process, and then come back and and talk about how to process and deal. I mean, how to uh, articulate and move forward um, versus getting mad in the moment. And so. I, I'm, I am, we are on the same page here, Yeah, you know, it's meeting a marriage that can be truthful. It's so interesting in like, so Rachel and I did not work together for the entirety of our marriage. And then nine months ago, we go on this adventure, we start working together and it has produced unbelievably great results. We're super, super excited in so many ways. And it's been hard. It's been hard because we have to have more hard conversations than we've ever had to have before in order to get the result that we're looking for professionally, but more importantly, personally. We want to keep making out on the regular and working together and being in such close proximity to each other all the time means that if we run into something that is going to be a distraction, that's going to leave us frustrated or maybe not bring out the best version of us for the creative that she's making or the leading the team that I'm responsible for, uh, it just it just could, has the chance to derail us. And so we've really had to commit to something we're calling radical candor. It's a, you know, uh, an idea that is uh, talked about forever and ever on the internet, but we force ourselves into these conversations. And sometimes when it's emotionally charged, we've actually had to go down the route of sending a note to each other, articulating our feelings in a, in a way that hopefully can be re- objectively received with a commitment to have a conversation once the emotional processing of that note has allowed the person who's receiving it to enter the conversation in a way that isn't as emotional as it might be in the immediate hearing of the information. I imagine conversations like these, especially if a listener isn't already in a regular habit of having hard conversations or truth-filled conversations, mm-hmm. is going to be a little bit 
hard and it's going to take a delicate approach. Uh, we always say, what is the outcome that we are hoping for? How do we approach the conversation yeah. in the spirit of the outcome that we're looking to get to? I'm curious, mm -hmm. when you started having these conversations, was this with your wife something that was just from day one, always the way that you guys were operating? Or did it um, take some time getting accustomed to being so honest about the way you were feeling and the things you were thinking you know we did i didn't even know you know to what degree we weren't practicing truth or you know as i as i put it in the book you know uh, radical honesty or uh intense transparency i didn't realize we weren't practicing that until it came to our sex life you know it was time to have sex or time to make love there would be like a resistance and i was like well What's what, what's going on? And uh, and then I would come to find out, oh, you know, how I said something earlier in the day or before how, how I handled something, you know, kind of, you know, rubbed her the wrong way or, you know, I wasn't listening to her point of view or there were these resentments that were building because we weren't actually talking about the things in the marriage that were bothering us. So, you know, I'll tell you one thing, um, not in a marriage, not having uh, sex at the frequency you would like for a man is a great motivator <laughs> to do the work. <laughs> what do we need to talk about? What do I need to fix? <laughs> By the way, though, I mean, like if you're in a relationship and you're not connecting from an intimacy standpoint or an emotional standpoint to the way that you'd hope, I, I guarantee that there is a correlation between the number of times that you're having really honest, transparent conversations and the number of times you're having sex or the number of times you're going on a date and feeling that butterfly feeling from the beginning. If you're not willing to push into a hard conversation, you're not going to get the yield that you'd hope for. And especially in a, in a relationship that's a little further along in its number of years, if you're feeling yeah. like, you know, oh, we've just, you know, like kind of fallen out of that thing that we used to have, I'm going to guess that at the beginning, the effort that was made by both parties to stay engaged in conversation was different. And if you can get back to that place. Now, the headline is, this is a hard thing for men. Hey, honey, I have a new book coming out. I've read it. It made me cry at the end. I was so proud of your work. Would you say that it's at least as good as Girl, Wash Your Face? I would not say that it's as least, at what? least as good because I think it is better than Come Girl, on. Wash Your Face. I cried in part because I imagined Noah Hollis, our daughter, knowing one day that the woman who wrote that book and changed the way that she thinks about how a woman can or can't be in the world lives in our house and is her mother. Babe. It's real. So if you are curious what the book's all about, you can go on to basically anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart.com, and check out the description. But the intention here was this is for the dreamers. This is for the hustlers, for the goal setters, for anybody who wants to achieve something and is curious about the steps that you need to take and also how you can, as a woman, chase down a dream without shame. The good news, too, if you like the sweet, sweet voice of that Rachel Hollis, who was just speaking two seconds me, me, ago, me, me, me. she does the audio narration on Audible, and that's available for pre-order right this second. For the men who hear this conversation, who hear 
you suggesting that men are dogs. Have you had men push back or give you grief about the characterization or the like the calling out some of these tendencies or are people self-aware enough to appreciate? Yep, this is a thing. Yeah, I mean, it, for the most part, I mean, because I, you know, I say clearly, like, in, in the introduction, I say men are not dogs, you know, I say, but sometimes we can act like one when we don't do our work. Um, so I, I'm very clear in the book that, you know, I'm not characterizing us um, as that. I'm just using that as a metaphor to help articulate the problem and the solution. And so the wide majority of men, uh, especially those men that have gotten the book since uh, the book has been out in the past week, have found it and their response to it is just um, amazing. You know, I mean, I just, you know, had a guy reach out to me uh, this morning and just say, you know, that the book is a blueprint for him as a man and it's changing his thought process. And he's now committing to doing the work he needs to do. And he already is seeing a positive shift in his life. So at the end of the day, you know, I will endure whatever criticism uh, or pushback may come from the analogy because there are people out there that it's working for. And I do think the analogy is apropos for uh, the severity of where we are. And um, and I think that, you know, it really worked for me to articulate it in that way. And I think once people actually get into the meat of the book, they, uh, especially men, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. got it. I get it. Yeah. I did an interview last week in Harlem for uh, um, Angela Yee, who's a, um, she's a radio talk show personality on The Breakfast Club. And on the, the panel, there was a guy that I think his name was Tony. Anyway, he was saying, man, you know, as I read the book, it was a journey. He was like, you know, sometimes I just had a hard time with the analogy. Other times I was OK with it. He said, but by the time I got through the end of the book, you know, it was it really challenged me. And I think a great book is a book that does challenge, that does not just go down easy. We have to process it. We got to think through it. So uh, I love the fact that this book seems like it's already doing that. Um, and I also acknowledge that uh, the analogy for some, um, you know, could uh, take a little bit of massaging. But I think for the wide majority, they embrace it and uh, are appreciative. Well, I give you credit because it's I, I'm in the middle of trying to write something that is also intended for men, but hopefully will be a, a little bit of insight for women. And it's it's a hard thing to represent how to think differently without it coming off like you figured it all out because I, I think you're very good in the book at identifying, hey, look, these are things that I can speak to because these are things that I also struggle with. We're in this together. Uh, and I'm, I'm yes. trying to do that same thing. Uh, for the women who are listening, I think we have more women listening uh, probably than men. Um, this is, as you've kind of said, something that will afford women some insight into the kind of things that men struggle with, how those struggles affect them, the kind of um, things that if they're familiar with might help them as a partner, help their partner navigate through the stuff that comes up uh, for for the for anyone who's listening who happens to be a woman and in his relationship with a man what like what what do you say to like what benefit they might get from also kind of learning a little bit about how we are wired oh my goodness because uh well many things you know one which is uh you need information about what you're dealing with who you're dealing with so understanding you know the thoughts of of, of, a, of a man the feelings why he behaves the way he does uh, that information can uh, help you not only navigate your your dealings, 
but for a woman, it can actually empower you. Uh, the other thing is that I put a lot of information here in the book directed at women. Um, you know, here's if you're in a dating situation for women, this information in the book, here's how you stay out of the gray area. You know, a gray area is an area in dating where you don't quite know what's going on. It seems like you may be committed. You guys hang out a lot of the time. You text all the time. You go to the movies. You may have even met each other's families. However, you aren't really sure if you're together. Why? Because you may have never asked if you're committed and he may have he may have never said we are committed. This is so important because a man is very clear what he has said and what he hasn't. So it's so important not to assume that something is happening in, in the relationship, but it's important to ask, ask, ask clear, direct questions and wait for clear, direct answers. You got to get out of the gray area because it's a liability. The other thing I talk about, like, let's say for, you know, married women, I say, you know, when you ask your husband, how's he doing? Don't just take I'm OK for face value. There's a lot of things that men are worried about, anxious about, uh, that they feel stressed about. And sometimes we'll just say, I'm okay, but the reality is we're not. So if you're dealing, you know, in a, in a marriage sense, when he says, okay, ask him, what are you worried about? Baby, what's stressing you out? What are the things you're concerned about? Why is this important? Because when men get stressed, this is when the dog starts to so bark. Real. And again, that dog can, be, can bark uh, over sex. It can bark over other women. It can bark over, you know, just wanting to go, you know, find more, you know, get more money or, or, oh, you know, I need to go buy a new toy, whatever it may be. The dog starts to bark because we're stressed and we're looking for something to relieve the stress instead of going to our significant other and saying, hey, let's talk about what's stressing me out because I don't know who else to turn to. So it's really, really important to know that sometimes the only way we'll open up is, is for that woman in our life who loves us to help us in that process. So there's so much information in this book uh, that give women the 411 on us. And the other thing that really uh, talking about a pain point here, there are a lot of women that are single that have not yet been able to find uh, the right man. And so I really wanted to write this book to help them be empowered and to say, you know, listen, I'd rather wait. I can be loved and, and respected at the same time. I'd rather wait for the right man at the right time than to just be with somebody who is not leading with the master, who only wants what he wants whenever he wants it and subject myself to that. So for single women, I wanted to write this book to empower them to say, you know, I have information. I'm going to choose wisely because the, our life becomes a sum total of our choices and I'm going to feel good by having my, my wholeness versus continuing to involve myself with men who don't mean me any good and they only want me for their pleasure and when they're done, they move on. This is why I wrote the book because women need this information. It's, it's long overdue in my opinion. It's so wild too when you think about the backdrop of when you were writing the book. There were some very high profile conversations about the way that men have behaved in media, in sports, in all all sorts of different places. Was there something? I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that you wrote the book as or while some of the like the Harvey Weinstein and the uh, Larry Nasser like other stuff was coming out, or was it already yeah. written after the Harvey Weinstein uh, news hit? So I was writing the book as these things were, yeah, being talked about. And so, you know, I touch on, you know, some of these things in the book. But what I was mindful of is that there's already so much information or news about 
you know, these high profile men, their failings and um, them losing it all. And what I didn't want to do is just be rehash the headlines that are already covering that. What I wanted to do is to go beyond the headlines to point to some reasons why that why it happens. And also to say, um, you know, I talk about this in the book that, listen, you know, I don't smoke weed. I'm not a proponent of that. Um, however, from those that do, they say that, you know, even though you have the the marijuana plant, you can derive CBD from that. You can derive THC from that. So even though you can take different things, different strands, it all comes from the same root. And so uh, most of us are not, you know, abusers in any stretch of the imagination. We're not harassers in any stretch of the imagination. But lust is the seed that then these other things grow from. So I wanted to draw a parallel between the challenges we're seeing with these high profile men, but also relating that to the challenges that we're seeing with just the day to day man. And that, yes, those examples of, you know, those that have fallen uh, in the media and in the press are much bigger examples. But if the day to day man says, oh, that's not me, I could never do that. I believe that sets us up to fall in our way because we then would not do our work. So all of us have to do our work. And when I was writing the book, I was mindful of those headline things. I mentioned them in the book, but I don't delve into them so deeply that the day to day reader would find the book not applicable to their life. My goal was to reach the reader. So I made sure that it was practical, that it was applicable. It's interesting too, like your career, at least some of the more recent projects have been what I'd argue are somewhat countercultural, somewhat um, like if, if there's a celebration of this dog, of this lust in popular music or in movies or whatever it might be, the idea of a book that calls it out is, you know, challenging, you know, how it might be celebrated in some circles. And the same way that a book about waiting might be countercultural to the way that sex is depicted in, in movies or whatever else. Like, is, what, right. what has been the thing that drives your creative? Is, is this a calling from God? Is this a thing that just you feel, man, this is the thing that I, wa- I want to speak to? Because you're choosing to do it even though, or maybe because of, it being something that isn't necessarily the mainstream or, or the current sometimes that uh, you have to you know row against. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I mean, so much of it comes from just uh, not always even being conscious of those things, just uh, owning my own truth and just saying, hey, this this works. I, I believe that this is the path. And and a lot of times the the way that the culture is going uh, is usually sometimes the way that we shouldn't go. Uh, there's a lot of things that that happen in the culture that are, can be destructive. I mean, the things that you mentioned that we do, uh, we live in a culture that profits off of lust, that profits off of enticing lust. And so we have to be mindful of that. Um, that doesn't mean the culture is going to change, but we can change. And so uh, when I write books, I write books upon what I believe and how I'm living. And that's why I wanted to put in this book that, you know, I have a master, I have a dog, you know, I have lust and lust. In, I have love and lust in me. You know, I'm, I work on mastering it. And I understand that so many people just say, oh, well, just give yourself over to it. Have fun. I, I just find that that is a more destructive path than to do the work of discipline. And if that gets, you know, labeled countercultural, that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, I just feel like at the end of the day, if we keep doing the same thing and you, you know the definition of insanity and expecting a different result, 
it's insanity. And I think to some degree, we all know that there's something wrong. There's something, uh, there's a pain that we're trying to get resolved. And I feel like if this book can help somebody resolve their pain and ultimately produce peace, then it will be, have, it'll be well worth it to have gone against the culture. And what I found, especially with the weight, when we did that, that book, you know, has gone all around the world because there's so many people out there who are like, yes, we need this. Not even just the value of waiting, but just the value of self-respect and saying, you know, I have been giving my body to too many people without trust, without love, without commitment. And I do bear the scars of that. And as a result, when I read your book to wait, it really helped me heal. So if writing a book or books that go against the grain culturally can result in people getting set free and healed, then I'm right? all for it. I mean, guess what? Every single thing that we are doing on this side of the microphone is uh, a little bit different than what normal, everyday other people are up to. And the way that it's connecting says that the mission for impact is one that we're going to achieve for having done it a little bit differently. So keep it up, my man. That's so good. So good. All right. Hey, uh, I want to be respectful of your time because you are on a hustle right now to get more people to know about this book. <laughs> yes, we are if, doing if it. If people are interested in following anything and everything that you are up to, where can they find you on the interwebs? First of all, my website, DevonFranklin.com, D-E, capital V-O-N, Franklin.com. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at Devon Franklin, and on Facebook, it's at Devon Franklin Official. And I post every day a lot more information and, ask, and um, affirmations and, you know, really try to just keep everybody uplifted, inspired, and informed. Uh, it's not an easy life, but we can get through it together. Um, with the right information and in a world that has too much division and too much darkness I tell you every time I see something on Devon's feed I feel better for having been exposed to it so I encourage y'all go follow this man and be uplifted by some of the light that he's pouring into this world thank you Devon for being on the show today we so appreciate it good luck with the book the book again is called The Truth About Men it went on sale last week and it's available everywhere that you can buy books you ought to go get it. 